Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make our community tick. Well, we have quite a pleasure today on Dateline. We're going to talk to someone who made New Haven's community tick way back in the day. I'm talking 70s, 1980s. Now he's gone on to make Washington, D.C. tick in a way that has lessons for us at home as we battle the specter of gentrification. Mustafa Abdul Salam is our guest today, the managing, department of, managing partner of Community Economic Development Partners of Washington, D.C., a grassroots group. How are you doing, Mustafa? So nice to talk to you. Nice talking to you, Paul. I'm doing excellent, and I've been looking forward to having this opportunity to, to talk with you and just share some of the work I'm doing in D.C. And I'm guessing that when people hear about what you're doing in D.C. and hear about what you were doing in New Haven when you and I met a lifetime ago, long before our kids were born and grew up, that there's going to be a tie-in because we're all wrestling with a lot of the challenges in cities today. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, New Haven is my home. And even though I, I've been out of New Haven, you know, for close to 20 years now, um, you know, who I am is a product of New Haven in, in terms of uh, my growth and the experience I've had. And uh, as I have left New Haven and have been able to be in other communities, I I have a real appreciation of uh, how significant New Haven is in, in the history of, of urban communities and uh, how uh, urban communities have you know, come into existence. And, and mainly because of Yale University and its influence it has had on, on, on this society uh, from day one. I mean, uh, you, you have to come outside of New Haven to appreciate how Yale is perceived by the rest of the world. And, how and is how, Yale, how are these perceived by the rest of the world? Well, um, as, a, as, a, as a, a significant uh, institution of power, uh, it's been around longer than a lot of uh, 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 communities in this, this country. And, and, and so uh, you can't separate Yale from the history of this country, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, New Haven has been called the model city because of Yale University. And you have to, you know, decide what is the model for. Some people say they're Ermi models. Some people say other things. Um, but it has a, a place in understanding the urban dynamics of this country. And having grown up in it, it has given me, I think, a perspective that uh, allows me to, um, you know, really have a full recognition of uh, both the good and bad of, of what happened with urban renewal. So speak of Urban Renewal, Mustafa, if you're okay with this plan, I thought we'd chat first about what you're doing right now in D.C. You sent me mm-hmm. some stuff right up on it. And then tell people what you're doing right now, New Haven, product in New Haven, making things happen in Washington. And then after that, pull it back to what you were doing in New Haven where you kind of learned this stuff on the ground in New Hallville. Does that sound good? That, that sounds excellent. I think that's so good. So Ward 8, what part of Washington is that? It is the uh, southeast part of Washington, the closest part to Maryland. Matter of fact, uh, it, you know, uh, just a couple of minutes, you go into Maryland. If you ever uh, traveled through um, uh, Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, to get to Virginia, uh, I'm about, uh, the community about uh, five minutes away from the Woodville Wilson Bridge that connects Maryland to Virginia. So that's- And what's that's- happening there? Development-wise, is there like in New Haven a gold rush for market-rate housing? 
Well, New Haven, I mean, D.C. is the ground zero for gentrification, has been for a while, uh, mm -hmm. mainly because of the, the the real estate market is so dynamic here. I mean, this is probably one of the few places in the country, if not the world, where there's more cranes in the sky than birds, you know? I mean, uh, there's an ongoing development of D.C., uh, and there's tons of money coming in to do that. It's a, it's a the development, a developer's uh, dream. Um, and the community that I've been working in, Ward 8, um, is the, the last or the least developed um, area, not only in D.C., but the region. So that makes it very, very appeal appealing. And the fact that it's um, just minutes away from downtown D.C., uh, makes it very attractive because you have people that commute two hours <laughs> to work in DC. Um, and, and so, uh, the appeal of having this kind of, um, closeness to, you know, DC, the downtown section, um, is, is very, um, and Mustafa, has this been happening for generation because of growth of the federal government and then attendant spinoff industries? Is it, what, what drove the revival of DC? Well, we, have, we have major players, um, you know, the Pentagon, by its nature, with, with all of uh, the money that comes through it, is going to attract, you know, interest. So if you have ever been down to D.C. or seen the Pentagon, it's just right across in, in Arlington, Virginia. Um, when it was first developed, there was cow country there. You know, it was a farming area. Mm. And now it's a major, you know, development. Matter of fact, Amazon is, is moving into that area, which is going to even expand it more. But it just talks about when you create a economic engine like a Pentagon, um, it, it attracts money. And so people come uh, because they want that money and they build, you know, headquarters to be close enough to the money and everything else gets built around. Now, what's happening with Ward 8 is that um, uh, there was, there's was been a consolidation over the last 10 years of all the issues related to Homeland Security. Um, mm. And... Uh, uh, this particular community, Ward 8, is the site where the new Homeland Security consolidation has taken place. And it's been done over the last 10 years. Um, it's a major, major structure. You know, it's, it's, it's hidden from the community because uh, you can't see it. Um, you can see a little bit from the highway. Uh, <laughs> but it's the most significant federal uh, 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 development since the Pentagon. And um, they're going to employ 15,000 people at their apex. Um, and so just like Pentagon transformed a lot of what happens around what happened around uh, Virginia area, uh, this, uh, this Homeland Security development is going to have the same impact on um, Ward 8. And then the now, backdrop, Ward, backdrop for me with stuff as an outsider, my mm -hmm. one sentence impression of D.C. was that until five minutes ago, it was Chocolate City. Right, that's what they called it. It had this great black culture. It was a majority black exactly. city that had a real middle class, working class, black community and that the last 10 years it's no longer what black majority and the culture has changed and that now ward eight being the focus of where the last great battle of gentrification can take place might seem to me from a distance part of what's at stake is to preserve like in oakland i guess preserve black culture working class community in the face of the lure of the money and development coming in is that accurate mustafa it's very accurate. You're right. I mean, uh, what, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, uh, the uh, popula African-American population in D.C. was uh, around 70, uh, uh, 70%. We're now probably somewhere around 45%. Mm. 
And that's a significant change. And people have been dislocated. Uh, um, the, the Northwest part, which is, you know, uh, DC proper, has where you've seen the most change. Um, from the area around uh, Howard University, uh, U Street in particular, that was a, a beacon of, of black culture for years, has now been just totally changed. If you lived in DC, you know, just a couple of years ago and go back to it now, you, you probably would be lost because the development has taken place has drastically changed the whole environment and displaced people. Um, so uh, what we're experiencing in Ward 8 is, uh, Ward 8 has always been uh, seen as basically the dumping ground for low-income population. Uh, and, and there's, it, it's, it's east of the river, which is the other side of Northwest Washington, which is where the White House and, and, and Congress is located. Um, east of the river is separated by uh, the Anacostia River, so there's an actual physical separation from downtown Washington and, and uh, Ward 8 and Ward 7, which are the, the last two uh, areas of, the, uh, of, the, of Washington, D.C. that has majority black people. Ward 8 and Ward 9 have around 90% African Americans. Um, mm. So this is where gentrification is really being felt because, um, because of the, uh, the high cost of housing on the other side of the river, uh, uh, Ward 8, Ward 7 is, is very attractive to developers. So Anthony Ante Mustafa Abdul-Salam has been working in community development, grassroots community development as a consultant, as a, as a participant in business since the uh, 1980s, I would argue. You're right. now in a group called Community Economic Development Partners, and you were brought in to facilitate a bottom-up community economic development process to try to preserve Ward 8 as a community for the people there as the benefits of, of and dangers of building Mukondo. Is that true? And if so, what is your role exactly? What are you doing and who hired you? Yeah, I, I actually lived in the community. I, I came down to D.C. after um, spending some time in, in Hartford doing some development. Uh, to take over a child welfare agency that was going through transition around the, the gentrification. They felt that I had some expertise that could help them. And so um, I was always interested in DC, so it gave me a chance to come down. And I spent two years there and I was really in the middle of, of the community going through some significant change. And so um, after two years, uh, and I decided and the board decided that it wasn't necessarily the best fit. So I decided to stay in DC. Uh, strategically moved over to Ward 8 because I, I wanted to be more in, in, embedded in the community. And over a number of years, just got involved in activities and uh, dealing. Uh, I got involved with workforce development, which was a good entry point. Uh, Marion Barry, uh, the former councilman and former mayor, uh, that was his uh, ward. He was a councilman of Ward 8 for a number of years um, and had, you know, uh, that was his base. Even when he was mayor of DC, that was his base. And so um, he had begun to look at uh, gentrification and realizing that the things had been changed. And he created a, a, a Ward 8 Workforce Development Council as a way of trying to prepare the residents for what was coming. And I got involved because I, I do have experience in workforce development. And I was at the time working with a, a, a OIC, which is a national workforce. Opportunities Industrial Center. Exactly. And I was doing some job development with them. And. So I got involved with the Miriam Barry's um, council and I found it to be a very uh, good, rich place. Uh, uh, over dozens of service providers were involved and we met on a monthly basis. And I volunteered to do about three strategic plans. And the last one attracted about 100 people. And we came out of that strategic planning process recognizing that 
if we were going to really impact gentrification, it had to uh, happen in the front end and workforce development was the back end. So mm. it, it encouraged me to change my thinking and I began to take some leadership in promoting and advocating for a plan, a plan for Ward 8 to talk about community economic development from the bottom up. And, um, you know, having been around, I know how unique that is. There's very few communities that develop their own strategy. Um, but I realized that if something was going to happen in Ward 8 to really protect uh, the community and, and make sure that displacement wasn't uh, the final place, that we would have to be really proactive, create a plan that would force the government and developers to react to the community as opposed to the community always reacting to government and 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 um, developers, which is normally the case. Um, so this plan, um, is, I, I've been actually working on it, you know, for uh, uh, more than five years. We uh, got some funding uh, about three years ago to actually do the plan, and we just completed it. And it's a very detailed bottom-up plan, uh, focused on the residents. The residents really drove it, um, and and it's a rich plan because unlike a lot of plans that are top-down, um, you hear the voice of the community. And, and, and that's critical. So the plan is, is going to be uh, provided uh, or presented to the community. The implementation of the plan is where uh, I think the real opportunity is at. Um, and we've been able to merge two concepts that are really, I think, uh, important um, and unique. And that's creating a digital platform for the community to, to allow the community to compete with anybody because digital digitalization is the state of the arts and also uh, promote and lift up cooperative business models as a way of the community begin to uh, developing wealth. What's a cooperative business model? Well, it, it's any uh, cooperative venture. It can be a cooperative in housing. It can be cooperative uh, a, a business venture where you have um, um, and, and the uh, owners of the uh, business being by residents or employees. Um, it's what we traditionally know as grassroots attempts to deal with a collective effort. Um, it counters the capitalist model, uh, which, you know, really puts capital out in front. A cooperative model really uh, uh, is impacted by this membership in, in, in a common vision. Okay, so um, we're talking to Mustafa Abdul-Salam, New Haven born, New Haven bred, developed into a community development expert here, and now in D.C. doing it, the last bastion of black, working class, and middle class D.C., coming up with its own plan as big development comes to the last corner of D.C. so that they can share the benefits. Mustafa, in reading over your plan, mm -hmm. I would like to suggest what it looks to me what the summary is mm -hmm. and tell me if I'm right. Mm -hmm. Okay? The plan I see here, if I understand it correctly, is that there's now a voice from the community that's telling government and developers are, are coming in because government's involved always in development saying if you're building here and making money, here's our plan for how to make sure we're not driven out, that we're part of it. It's a plan that in a bunch of different ways helps people who live here develop the skills to compete, sometimes in a network with others, for the jobs and contracts that are coming, whether that's the workforce development, through co-ops, through money for entrepreneurship, to live here with down payment assistance and others so they can actually have homes, and that... Um, and that housing improvement fund so they can strengthen their homes so they actually have assets because we know assets are the big issue. Black uh, Americans have 10 to 15 cents on the dollar in asset wealth of white Americans. We know that's mostly through homes. And finally, mental health and youth development. That if you're going to compete, you do have to have a commitment 
to help people not have one hand tied behind their back when people come in. Is that an accurate way of describing this? And if so, how do you make it a reality? Well, it is because uh, we decided early that we would make this approach comprehensive. You know, uh, too many times, you know, people take the easy way because we have so many issues. It's okay, where do you stop first? So, you know, do I deal with housing? And, you know, but we recognize as a community that if, if, if you're going to have an impact, you got to do it comprehensively uh, because everything is connected. Everything is, is interlinked. So, you know, you can't do one without impacting something else. So if the mayor comes in and says we're considering a tax break or a zoning change to help us developer, or a developer comes in and says, I want to be a good part of the community, i.e., I don't want you to be mad at me. I want to make my money and build my stuff. Does this plan help them? Do they say, okay, here, this here's a here's a fund I could put money in to help with home ownership. Here's a, a group of co-ops and groups I can look at when I'm hiring contractors. Is that kind of the idea, Mustafa? It, it is very much so because in, in many cases, even with good intentions, if you come into a community like Awarde or New Haven, it's who do you talk to? You know, because you got everybody got their own agenda. You know, you, you talk to a minister, they got one issue. You talk to a community organizer. So it, it's really difficult uh, when you don't have a common vision or a common voice. So what we've done with this plan is allow the community to shape its vision. So if you're really sincere at the government level or developer who wants to work with the community, we have laid out where, where we're going with this. And if you want to partner with us, it's a matter of you um, looking at you know, our priorities and deciding that you want to support those. Um, it, it, takes, it takes them trying to figure it out off the table, which is very difficult. So Mustafa, when I first came aware of you in the early 80s, um, New Haven was starting a very small-scale version of this with Science Park. Our old rifle factory was almost empty. It soon would be empty, 18,000 jobs down to a few hundred. And there was the idea with Yale and some other investors to try to start Science Park, a biotech and other startup incubator facility, right in Dixwell and New Hallville. And there was very little civic engagement. There weren't that many people in the community who stood up and said, what should we do? And I seem to remember you ran a community. I don't think it was New Hallville Restoration Commission. I'm trying to remember uh, which yes, group it was. Well, okay, it was so you were running New Hallville, and you were standing up saying, we're the community. So mm -hmm. what happened then when they were starting start, trying to start Science Park? Well, what did you uh, learn from uh, that about how, do you, how does the community present a voice and a plan and tell people who to speak to and how to partner? Well, you know, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about how that impacted what I'm doing now. But uh, and you're right. I mean, uh, Yale, again, uh, with its resources and its, its understanding was very ahead of the uh, appreciation of um, what was happening with urban dynamics and, and, and these old uh, industrial uh, um, resources, assets that were no longer useful and were eyesores in, in, in a place like Ward 8, you know, which took up a lot of space um, and just changed the dynamic of the community simply because it was so undeveloped or unused. Um, uh, Yale, because of its just way it's positioned in its history, does not think about anything other than its own agenda. Right. And even in its backyard, they see the communities uh, surrounding Yale as their backyard. Not that they are connected to Yale other than they are you know, Yale's backyard. And, and so, um, and, and the leadership that was really framing of what was gonna happen with the science park at that time, um, mostly was looking at it in, in regard to Yale's, um, uh, having an advantage in, in, in Yale's uh, agenda. It was never really looked at as a way of, of developing the community. And if it was, it was secondary, it was not anywhere prominent. Um, and so anything that happened because of that was just, 
the, the, the crumbs that came out of Yale wanting to create this incubator uh, to develop more science, uh, uh, more science uh, uh, focused initiative. Similar to what they did with Legion Avenue that is part of the hospital. You know, it's, it was the same concept. You know, so what did you learn from that? How did it go? Uh, well, again, um, the missing piece is the lack of really community involvement in the true sense. And community involvement does not represent uh, inviting some community representation that you think uh, represent the community to a meeting where you tell them what you want to do and, and what you're going to do and, and ask them to uh, basically sign off on it. Um, and that's the role of the community. Because um, uh, that doesn't lead to any ownership or sense of connection by the community. And, and, and this is played over and over again as uh, and, 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 and identified as uh, community engagement. Um, true community engagement is before you come to the community, you really try to figure out uh, what is gonna, uh, what is in it for the community. And therefore the community has a, a reason to engage other than just uh, listening and, and, and signing off for something that, you know, they're not even really aware of uh, but it's good to have their blessings, so to say. Um, so it's an intentional attempt. So did you succeed? Did New Hope Restoration Corporation succeed in having a community voice and steering what happened at Science Park? Well, again, um, related to that is for a community to really engage in that kind of discussion, the community has to be well organized. Mm -hmm. And New Hope, just like the rest of New Haven, you know, has not been organized. You know, uh, most communities... Uh, throughout the country, urban communities are very disorganized. They're, they're very fragmented. You know, communities operate in silos. Uh, the systems don't integrate themselves. And that's for a purpose. If, if you want to keep a community in a place where you can control them, then you keep them disorganized. You keep them mm -hmm. where they're not a, a, a central connective way that they can communicate and, and, and be linked. And this is true in New Haven. It's true in Hartford. It's true in uh, uh, D.C. and Ward 8. Um, the community cannot really engage at a higher level because uh, it's dealing with day-to-day -day struggles um, around survival uh, that keeps them focused and locked in on survival issues. So to talk about 5, 10, 20 years down the road, which you have to if you're going to be uh, 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 focusing around development, um, is really challenging for these communities because they just don't have the capacity or the infrastructure to do that. So then maybe is it fair to say that what you're doing in Washington after that lesson is to have a process so that enable the community, in addition to the day-to-day -day struggles of survival, to think 15 years down the road, come up with a plan, and not just say, I'm hearing what you say, fine, I sign off. Exactly. Um, you know, and this is a challenge. And unfortunately, um, there's not the kind of resources or focus to do that work. And I, I'll just give you some historical significance. Uh, when the anti-poverty movement uh, uh, came to a peak and the bill was passed um, uh, to do the anti-poverty process, uh, there was a particular legislation in it called participation of the poor. Maximum and feasible all, participation. Right, right, the term. right. And, and that was recognition then. And it was irony. <laughs> if you wanted to really create something where the community yeah. can really uh, uh, support, you, they had to participate in it. It was so effective, and New Haven was one of them, that you had, you know, poor people coming down to City Hall, the Board of Alderman meeting, telling them what they wanted and, and, and was very actively involved. Um, both Democrat and Republican mayors 
uh, went to the federal government and said, we can't, do, we can't govern with, with poor people in particular asking us to do what they want to do. So they took the legislation out. And for the last 60 years, there really has not been any resources to organize communities. Mm-hmm. You, you have, you know, foundations give some money, but it's, you know, basically just uh, to, to, to show that there's some investment in communities. But true community organizing has had not been done. And that's why you see the, these communities looking like they do. I mean, Yale has a vested interest to keep New Haven unorganized because then they don't have to really about being challenged in a way that forces them to rethink how they do business. Um, so they strategically do things to keep New Haven disorganized. And I was in the midst of it at one point in time, so I know exactly what they do. You know, so, uh, and that's true for a lot of, the federal government does that. But it, sounds like, but it sounds like in Ward 8 in Washington, maybe we'll be writing a new story. Well, uh, Take the promise of maximum feasible participation of the 1960s and actually make it a true word and not well, an ironic this, hollow slogan. This is what we want to demonstrate, that if you invest in communities from a bottom-up process, they can take care of themselves. What's unique about what we've done, I have not engaged the, the, the city government in this at all. We're just starting to have conversations because we wanted to demonstrate that we could build our own ind- individual plan uh, uh, collectively as a community without uh, city uh, involvement. All and right, so we're Mr. there now. So what we're looking to do now is create a partnership with the city government as opposed to them dictating you know, what we do as a community. Okay, you're ready for that partnership. And you want stuff I do, Salam? What a treat to talk to you on Dateline New Haven. After all these years, you still got the fire, man. Well, still, you know, as long as I have it, I, I'm going to be out here. But there's a lot of work to be done. Um, going back to New Haven, I, I, I was blessed and fortunate uh, in my early development in New Haven to be uh, just, I, 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 I got experience with all the systems, from education to uh, workforce development, to community development, even healthcare. So, uh, and I didn't know at the time how important that was, but as I have evolved, um, um, I, I appreciate that I have a, a more comprehensive approach than most people have, because most people tend to stay isolated in one system. So if you're in education, all you know is, know is education. You know, if you're in healthcare, that's all you know. Um, we're, we're gonna- I'm able to come to the table and show where links can be created between systems because I have enough understanding of their culture and their, uh, even their language to be able to do that. Now, plus, I, I had, uh, and I don't know how I got there, but I, I actually did venture capital for a little while. I was a venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. And, and a recycling uh, business, too, earlier. So, so Mustafa, I got to head out because we're about to take a break. Uh-huh. And it was so nice to catch up with you. I hope we can catch up with you again as you move from drawing up the plan to have gentrification not destroy the last bastion of true D.C., to seeing whether you can get those partnerships going. Maybe you come back on Dateline New Haven. Let's know how it goes. Uh, anytime you want to invite me, I'll be here. And, and then we're doing some things in New Haven. My my sons and some of their friends are getting involved and hopefully that will materialize. So i like for them to maybe- And I remember their Ivy League venture with the recording studio. I see that's in Chicago. Yeah. So it's all going good. All right, yeah. Mustafa Abdul-Salam, Dateline New Haven. Thanks for joining us. We're gonna take a little break with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free. We're gonna come back on the rebound of five minutes with author Gail Lerner who has a really interesting new novel out that begins in Edgerton Park and takes us deep into the insect world. So hold on tight. You're listening to WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio at 103.5, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. 